Oh, wow. What a, what a moment. What a moment. I suppose it's because, you know, Gary's retirement. Um, you know, I think back um, on my own life. You know, you, you start reflecting on these things. By the way, there's no announcement I've got here. <laughs> I'm playing with the idea of, of outdoing Bob Johns. But that might be tough. But, but you know, just, just, you know, the awareness of Gary's long and fruitful ministry, I just find myself thinking back on my own life in some ways. And I think back to when I first became a Christian. It wasn't really expected among my friends that of all people, Paul Sands was going to become a Christian. I was not a very Christian young man. You would think you could only get into so much mischief by the age of 20, but I got in plenty, and, and in darkness that, that had a grip on me. And when Jesus came into my life, what a change that made. It really did. It, it filled me with such joy and expectation. And I remember having this sense that, that God was going to do things in my life that I could never imagine without him. Well, of course, I got a Bible and started reading the Bible, and I knew nothing. When I read the Gospel of John, the only John I knew was John the Baptist. It was in the early chapters of the Gospel of John. You read about John the Baptist. So who wrote the book of John? What well, must have been John the Baptist? It was just hard to understand how he could write the book covering events after his death. I thought maybe he was inspired by God, so... Before the fact, he wrote it all down. That tells you just how magical my faith was in some ways. Not pure faith, but mixed with expectations that maybe weren't quite right. One of the books I loved so much when I first got saved was Philippians because it was a book I could understand. I mean, it's an easy letter to read, and there's so much there. And in chapter one, Paul said something there that meant a lot to me. He said, I thank my God every time I remember you, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. I remember that as a promise that I took hold of. And so I had great expectations of what God was going to do in my life. I was going to change, and I was going to change deeply and permanently and radically. But things didn't quite work out the way I expected. Not quite. So a few weeks ago in church, I don't remember, it was 9.30 service, 11 o'clock service, it may have been both, we sang the song, Do It Again. Let me read to you how the song begins. Walking around these walls, I thought by now they'd fall. But you have never failed me yet. Waiting for change to come, knowing the battle's won, for you have never failed me yet. The battle's won, it says. And it absolutely is. Jesus Christ has been crucified, more than that, raised from the dead. The battle is won and sin is defeated. Salvation has come. I believe all that is true. 
And I can testify that God has never failed me over all these many years. He's been with me through good times and hard times. He has never let me down. And yet I thought as we sang it, here I am all these years later, still waiting for change to come. I find myself all these years later thinking I'm walking around these same walls that I thought, well, I thought that they would fall. All these years later, have you ever felt like that? Have you ever felt like God has been active in your life and yet why is it taking so long for me to become more like Jesus? I find I read that verse from Philippians 1 a little differently now because Paul there says that God who's begun the good work will bring it to completion when? In the day of Christ Jesus. It's a promise of transformation, but also it's an indication that it won't happen all at once. It will be a process, and it will be a process that continues on until the day of Christ. It's not something that happens quickly. We don't grow quickly. We grow slowly, which isn't all bad because slow growth is sure and strong growth. And so I look at that as a promise that I can still hold to, and I can still say, God has never failed me yet. But I can also say, I'm still waiting on change. I'm still waiting on change. Well, reading the book of Philippians, there's so many great passages. You read Philippians 2, where it speaks of how Christ humbled himself and came to save us. But perhaps The most famous passage is found in Philippians 3. That's where Paul starts talking about his life before Christ. And his life before Christ wasn't a lot like mine. Where I was floundering, Paul was rising. He was prominent as a young man among his people. He had all the status and all the religious success that he could have hoped for. Before he came to Christ, he wasn't suffering from a troubled conscience. He wasn't suffering from low self-esteem. It was only when Jesus appeared to him and caused him to see his utter lostness that Paul was shattered. And after he came to Christ, well, things changed for him. I want to read to you what he wrote. He had a lot of gains, a lot of successes in his life, but he says in Philippians 3, 7, whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ 
Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Here we see a man who is completely sold out. Everything that was important to him is important no longer. He calls it garbage. Literally in the Greek, the, the off-scouring, just the, the run, dirty runoff water that would come after a heavy rain. Paul says, it's nothing to me. I want Christ. I want him. I want to know him. I don't want to establish my own righteousness. I want to trust in his righteousness. And in the power of his resurrection, I want to be one with him. In the fellowship of his sufferings, I want to be one with him. As a young Christian, I read that and I thought, yes, that's what I want. I aspire to that. The problem was the same problem I mentioned a moment ago. Paul's words here, they're almost heroic. And to compare them to my life, his life was heroic, it seemed to me. Mine was shabby. So what about that? Have you ever felt like that? A Christian all these years, and here you are still waiting for change to come. Well, Paul adds something to this passage that really fits well with what he says in Philippians about God continuing his work. He says, I want to know Christ. I want to know him in the power of his resurrection, in the fellowship of his sufferings. Wonderful words, glorious words, elevated spiritual words. But then look what he says next, verse 12. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal. The Greek word there is teleo, and, and it means to be perfect. Not perfect in some abstract sense, but to meet the highest standard. And Paul says, this is what I want. I want Jesus all of Jesus, only Jesus, nothing else matters. But he says, you know, the truth is I haven't attained it. And I haven't become perfect, he says. But I press on to take hold of that for which Christ took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us then who are mature, literally perfect, the noun, teleos, related to teleo, teleao, excuse me. All of us then who are perfect should take such a view of things. Now, this is a remarkable passage. Paul tells us what to, that to which he aspires, and then he tells us he hasn't gotten there yet. He says, I'm not perfect. But he says, here's the one thing I do. The one thing I do. I forget what lies behind. He's already put aside what was behind him before Christ. 
But now he's speaking as a Christian. He says, I forget what is behind and I press forward into Christ. That's the one thing I do. And then he says, all you who are perfect should have this mind, this same attitude, this same commitment. Now, wait a minute, Paul, you just said you're not perfect and surely no one is perfect. And now you're saying all those who are perfect? See, he's playing on that word, perfect. He's saying, I'm not perfect, but there's a kind of imperfect perfection that you can have, an imperfect perfection that we should have. Paul's saying, I have not attained, I am not perfect, but all of you can have an imperfect perfection. It won't come by attaining some elevated standard. It will come as you learn to live, putting aside the old things and pursuing Christ. Folks, that is as close to perfection as you're ever going to get in this life. To put aside the old and to pursue Christ. That's what Paul's calling us to in Philippians. God is at work in us, continually at work in us. And oh, the growth is slow, but it is sure because God is not going to fail us. He is going to complete the work he's begun. Not as soon as I hope, but he will complete that work. He has never failed us yet. And so trusting that, we press in. What happens when we stumble? What happens when we fall? We put away the past and we keep pressing forward. That is imperfect perfection, or perhaps I could put it better, that is gospel perfection. You're not going to reach any higher standard in this life. So that song, do it again. Here's the chorus. Your promise still stands. Great is your faithfulness. I'm still in your hands. This is my confidence. You've never failed me yet. And so perhaps you sit here and you think, still waiting for change to come. Still waiting for those walls to fall. Those walls you thought would fall a long time ago. I get it. I get it. I feel the same way but the promise still stands. We're still in God's hands. He continues to work in us and will continue to the end. That is his promise. Let me read to you something Martin Luther said. This life, therefore, is not righteousness, but growth in righteousness, not health, but healing, not being, but becoming, not rest, but exercise. We are not yet what we shall be, but we are growing toward it. The process is not yet finished, but it is going on. This is not the end, but it is the road. All does not yet gleam in glory, but all is being purified. You know, the only way that you've got emotional room to simply forget the past and keep pressing on in spite of your shortcomings. The only way you have emotional space to do that is to trust the justifying grace of God. In other words, God declares you righteous. 
for Christ's sake, not because of your attainment. That's what Paul said in that earlier passage in Philippians. His righteousness, not ours. Paul says that frequently. But since we're about to receive the Lord's Supper, let me, let me approach it differently, not in terms of the language of justification, but in terms of the language of sacrifice. The ancient peoples all around the world knew of sacrifices, but generally they thought of their sacrifices as bribes. They were trying to convince the gods to be kind to them. The gods had to be given gifts to placate them. But Israel understood its sacrifices differently. They understood sacrifice as a gift from God in order to cleanse them of their sins and to assure them of forgiveness. So when Jesus came and offered up his life, it's only natural that his sacrifice would be seen in terms of Israel's sacrifices. He fulfills those sacrifices. His body and blood given that we might be forgiven. The writer of Hebrews picks this up, and I just want to read to you one verse. This is remarkable. Hebrews 10, 14. By one sacrifice, Jesus has made perfect. Look at that, teleao. Has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Through his sacrifice, He has made perfect, perfect tense. What that means in Greek is it's a past action that's completed but has continuing results or continuing impact or influence or power. So Jesus has offered up a sacrifice and has made us perfect, not in the sense that every wall has fallen, but in the sense that we are clean before God and accepted before him. In Paul's language of justification, we've been declared righteous. But in Hebrews' language, in the language of the sacrificial system, we've been cleansed. Our sins have been atoned for. So we're already perfect. Who's perfect? Those who are being made holy. Are being made holy. That is We're in process. So even while we're in process, we stand accepted before God. As we share the Lord's Supper, I want to ask you to think on those things. I want you to reflect on that, that yeah, yeah, you may fall short. You may struggle with some of the same sins you've struggled with for a long, long time. All that may be true. But if your hope is in Jesus, his blood covers you, and you are made perfect, and your life can be an imperfect perfection, a gospel perfection of forgetting the past and pressing on for Jesus. There's no other perfection in this world but to receive God's forgiveness and to press on to follow. That's it, period. Nothing added. Amen. Heavenly Father, as we observe this supper, may the truth of it come home to us in a way beyond our understanding. In Jesus' name, amen.